Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as you'll get from us regularly, you're going to have 20 minutes or so of our thoughts and comments on matters of the moment. We're thinking about uh, things to do with the hotel space, particularly with investment in mind. My name is Chris Bannon, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, uh, to pour over these three topics. And this week, we're going to kick off by taking a look at what's happening in and around the distribution space as uh, travel, well, particularly long-haul international travel, opens up once more. Uh, it does really look like uh, long haul is coming back in the same way that uh, more localised travelling came back last year. Uh, so this year we'll see many more uh, long haul and international trips and particularly, of course, the outbound Chinese are uh, finding their wings once more. Um, but the question is, who's going to be the real winner in terms of selling hotel rooms? In terms of the winner, it's the same winner there's always been, and that's Google. Yes. Um, and it seems little chance of unseating it, although everybody seems to be keen to unseat Google um, from its perch. But uh, in particular, we hear um, OTAs talking about Booking Direct. Now, they're not referring to the Booking Direct with uh, hotel brands, but they're rather... Um, customers coming straight to the OTA website rather than via Google which is a major issue because the OTA spends so much money on what they call performance marketing um, on um, Google um, it's nearly all on Google um, and every sign is that this is actually higher now than it was during um, and it was pre-pandemic. They cut right back during pandemic. Obviously, no point spending money on performance marketing if most people aren't traveling. Um, but now it's we're coming out the other side. They are really ramping up their marketing spend and they're feeling the pinch a bit, I suspect. So what we're seeing here with, with the OTAs is a, is a push. Now, one of the interesting bits that have come out is uh, Expedia, who've probably partly maybe because they're the, the smallest of the two um, sort of Western based giants which is Expedia and uh, Booking um, Airbnb of course is in the mix there but a slightly different uh, they've got a slightly different pitch a non-hotel pitch essentially um, but um, Expedia because of its comparatively smaller size I think has been has been forced to be uh, the most uh, dynamic and the most innovative in terms of its approaches so it is definitely trying to forge a uh, partnership relationship and was on that path pre-pandemic um, notably with brands like Marriott Expedia white labels Marriott's uh, uh, vacations business um, so we're seeing that grow but also now we're seeing um, a new thing from Expedia which is getting into the uh, the loyalty game now they've had loyalty schemes for some time which is basically I mean the crudest one was probably hotels.com the a, um, a sub brand of Expedia and uh, there you sort of book 10 nights and you get the tenth one free um, so very basic um, in approach presumably done so because it's, it's very understandable for customers but 
there's sort of split between who benefits from loyalty schemes so unless you're a sort of road warrior type who's going on spending dozens and dozens of nights in hotels you're not really going to maximize the benefit from say joining a um, Accor scheme or a Marriott scheme or an IHG scheme or a Hilton scheme um, so the but it's important that um, these schemes capture those high frequency travelers and they're doing a very good job of that um, so much so that I suspect you know pretty much the OTAs are giving up on that trying to tempt those um, to book via via the OTAs because the regular traveler knows that they get much better benefits from booking direct um, and at the uh, other end of the scale if you're sort of doing less than five nights a year um, it's very difficult for a hotel brand um, hotel brand loyalty scheme to have much traction um, the benefits just aren't there and the consumer is much better off um, sort of looking around and seeing who's got the best deal at a particular time rather than trying to stay loyal with any particular brand um, it's the middle ground somewhere between the five nights and uh, 75 nights uh, a year um, these numbers come from Bernstein the analysts they divided it into three groups uh, up to five nights up to 30 nights then up to 75 nights and it's this sort of um, you know in in the sort of early uh, double digits which is where Expedia is launching its new loyalty scheme trying to tempt them you're not going to get such good benefit from the brand schemes um, but at the same time there is an opportunity to try and make you loyal because you're traveling enough and you and the, it's quite a cleverly done scheme in that um, punters are going to be given cash or a cash equivalent it's um, sort of a, a currency being created by Expedia to spend um, on booking and they're getting that cash whether they book hotels whether they book flights or whether they book private rentals so you can book your whole trip and get the reward that way so again it's sort of playing it maximizing the benefit for those people who aren't traveling that regularly so I can see the um, the sense of the pitch um, that Expedia has here and it's, it, it's a smart it's a smart play but it's going to be an expensive play analysts at Bernstein reckon um, Expedia is spending about 1.5 percent of gross bookings um, on the rewards on the loyalty scheme this means that they've got to grow bookings by at least four percent or reduce and this is a critical point reduce the amount of money that's being spent on performance marketing um, i.e with google so it can do either of those two i and i suspect what ideal world they're looking for is both to grow those bookings and to be able to reduce the spend with google how well it works remains to be seen but i think the threat to this is not so much the big uh, global hotel brands so the likes of hilton and marriott and ihg and accor and even choice and wyndham and hyatt i think they're they've got they're they're outside of that enough that they're going to be okay the ch threat and challenge is to independent hotels and to the shorter chains um these the appeal here is well you know am i going to get something out of a 
you know three or four nights um, stay with a small chain which I'm not going to really be able to repeat anywhere else um, or am I better off sticking it all with Expedia and I suspect that there's a good chance customers are going to choose to stick it with um, Expedia so this gives the choice for owners they've they, they can sort of with their property they can take a big brand and pay you know quite significant brand fees but they do get uh, um, for that money they get much lower distribution costs via OTAs they go from middling brands or um, even try and create their own brand but they're going to end up with much higher cost of distribution uh, via the OTAs um, or even worse they're going to be completely commodified by focusing on Google so I don't see you know this this choice between the weaker brand um, um, and the strong brand or the weaker brand and no brand and the strong brand um, I don't see the weaker brand and the no brand really having a sustainable position here um, and I think over the it could be a very long term but I think the pressure is on for these um, the no brands and the smaller brands um, from internet distribution and you know years when the internet was first introduced it was some herald it as this leveling of the playing field this little guy could compete against the big guy um we said at the time it's nothing of the sort it's actually tilting it more in favor of the big guy and this is just yet more evidence of that now and into that mix comes uh, rooms of another sort uh, that we're focused on this week uh, and that is uh, staying in a pub um, what we've seen in the last year or two is uh, the pub sector, those pubs with rooms, getting their act together, getting their marketing act together. And um, uh, one of those kind of actors in this space is uh, a, a site called Stay in a Pub, um, who have just uh, had some research done, which reveals that um, pubs are certainly kind of competing more now with boutique hotels in terms of the quality of the rooms they deliver. Uh, and actually, they've also discovered that once people go and stay in one of these pubs with rooms, they actually rather like them and will certainly consider them as a key part of their travel plans in uh, in the future so um uh, the other thing that's sort of, is particularly interesting is that the major pub groups have got their online act much more together in terms of um, pushing their offering to sell direct their uh, perhaps de-branding so that they kind of appeal more uh with a kind of local pub name and they're many of them are calling themselves inns rather than rather than pubs or lodges or anything else so um the this this is a kind of niche sector but it's a niche that's getting bigger and bigger and one of the reasons for that is because um meantime selling food and drink has got a whole lot tougher as the uh, inflation games are being played so um uh, this is one that's coming up on the rails yeah now i don't know whether you're aware chris it's my birthday in a couple of days so i assume you pitched this story in our news meeting because it was my birthday because um after beer pubs is my next favorite <laughs> right. topic to talk about so um but if you were to create an affordable lifestyle hotel brand what would its key ingredients be so great f and b great ambience something unique and memorable and most importantly a great experience now pubs spring instantly to my <laughs> mind when you, you you go through that list and fuller's the london-based pub and hotel company defines its purpose as 
we create experiences that nourish the soul. I think that hits the nail directly on the head. It's just a perfect. And it talks to the experience economy. It talks to that whole lifestyle hotel piece. And is why I think that, uh, you know, pub inns are the perfect uh, um, pitch in terms of w what you'd want in a sort of mid-market mid uh, um, lifestyle hotel experience. Um, last year, just sticking with Fuller's for a moment, um, so they, they revalued their estate um, and just came in just under the £1 billion mark. Now, it's a £1 billion operational real estate company. Um, with now it'd be foolish to suggest that hotels are a big part of their business they're not they're not huge but they're significant and they're doing pretty well i mean at, at the last results update occupancy at fuller central london hotels was 97 percent and revpar was 129 pounds which is not bad for the market position they're in, I'd suggest. Um, they've got, um, at the last time they published the numbers in November 22, they had 1,043 rooms. So by no means a giant in the accommodation space. They've got 46, 47 hotels. Um, but collectively, grouping together all the, the pub groups, and I think you did this in your story, Chris, mm -hmm. running through a whole range and, and talking to the stay in a pub consortia um which are call them a consortia i'm not sure how they define themselves i, I did like one thing I, I looked through some of the stay in the pub lit literature and uh they, they said uh, one one bullet point they said we're not an ota we have a soul <laughs> which i thought was which i thought was quite interesting Ooh, you know it's, kind of, it's quite pointed but you know i'm with them on it and i i get that now i'm not sure stay in a pub's a perfect solution at the moment um the big issue is that you know for for how much we might moan about otas they are fabulous demand generators um and stay in a pub just isn't anywhere near that level yet i mean they're not obviously it's a much 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 smaller business um but you know it could certainly do a good job if it manages to get in a little bit more marketing money quite what sort of structure it'll have to have to do that i don't know but there is the potential there for that but overall what i would say is that uh, these pub groups they have a, a great offer um and I, I think you know we ought to remember as well that the uk's biggest hotelier premier mm. inn of course has its roots ah, yes. um and um, whitbreads you know used to be next to whitbreads pubs so um, whitbread sold off all its pubs and just kept the what um the the chef and brewers and things like this which were next door to the hotels and effectively they became the restaurant for the hotel but um that's been the move they've made but uh, you know th there is real power here i think and there's a you know significant uh, uh, accommodation market now the other thing we can't really just commenting on uh in the uk market uh, this is quite big news we feel is uh, that the uk government has uh, committed to taking some next steps towards regulating short-term accommodation in the UK. Um, they've launched a consultation on their plans, which uh, include a kind of new regulatory framework which will require um, short-term nets to be registered. But they've also thrown in a, a second uh, ball into the into the uh, into the game, um, which is that they may also uh, potentially uh, play around with the 
planning use classes that we have in the UK such that they may uh, set up another whole new use class of short-term lets. So plenty for people to opine about here. There's uh, a consultation which goes on into the end of the first week of June. Um, plenty of uh, official bodies previously made their comments known about um, regulation and by and large that's something that uh, the responsible bodies in the sector think is a good thing. Um, not so sure about the planning side, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but uh, I think many in the hotel sector will welcome improved regulation in one of their peer sectors. Yeah, I mean, we've said for some time that the likes of Airbnb and these platforms, what they're getting away with is regulatory arbitrage. They are putting on their platform businesses, and these are by and large businesses, despite all the noise Airbnb makes about individual hosts and all this kind of stuff, and the bulk of their business are professional landlords. Um, and these landlords um, are you know, well, sometimes they're paying tax. I wouldn't certainly say all of them aren't paying tax, but a good number are not paying tax. A good number are not installing proper life safety. Airbnb still, still doesn't insist you have a gas safety certificate, doesn't insist you, insist you have electrical safety certificate, um, which other, uh, I would know, other uh, short-term private rental um, platforms do insist on these things. Um, so there's a major issue issue with life safety and the final thing is planning um, and it's arbitrage there that regulatory piece they're dodging it and have got away with it or have been getting away with it um, so it was seen oh back I think it was 20 when was it 2015 that London um, instituted this 90-day rule and again we've said this many times before but people still get confused they think that that was a restriction on airbnb but actually it was a liberalization because essentially anybody anybody who owns a home or has an a3 uh use class um on the, on their home um effectively what they're saying is you know it's just oh, not a3 what they're saying a c3 um use class on their home as was um um, where it was just a residential planning consent um, under the rules you're not allowed to um, then run a business um, letting out your property um, so all of this was sort of being done in a sort of very really grey area and what the London 90 day rule did was say look okay if you do it for 90 days in a year that's legitimate we'll let you do that and that's all perfectly fine now in other parts of the country and this has certainly happened up here in Cambridge um, people who have been short letting residential property have been caught out by the council I've been told look you're gonna stop or we're gonna fine you because you're in breach of your your planning um, or rather they would have to take legal action um, um, I think other cities have done a similar thing now there's a lot of fuss about the shortage of uh, residential accommodation at the moment particularly on the rental side now um, I would suggest that it's more far more to do with the fact which is simply not building anywhere near enough houses um, but inevitably um, people are looking for um, people to blame and uh, short lets is an obvious 
um, villain here. Um, I'm not sure really how much they are um, part of the problem for local areas running out of rental accommodation. I mean, it, it's one of the ironies I always think. You, you hear sort of local um, resort uh towns and villages saying oh goodness you know our young people have nowhere to stay well the simple fact of the matter is that those young people would not want to stay in those towns and villages if it weren't for the tourism income that was being brought in by the existence of these <laughs> short day short stay accommodation all the young people would want to clear off and find a job somewhere um so that you know that you've got this you know this difficult kind of balancing act which has to happen here um and I think this is one of the bits that, you know, I, I do think we need to sort of be cheering too loudly about this regulatory piece. It's about time. But I think what it does do, it puts things on the same footing as hotels along last, or looks likely to put things on the same footing as hotels. And what we should do is now join in common cause um, with the lobbying efforts of the likes of Airbnb, and they have uh, quite an effective lobbying um, organisation. Um, and pointing out, look at the benefits tourism brings to local economies. Um, you ought to be supporting tourism in terms of jobs, in terms of um, um, the, the extra amenities that are brought to an area. Um, it's it's not just about having you know people clogging up your pavements. Um, but it, it's it, it's a difficult argument. Um, and um, unfortunately, we're you know I'm sort of veering off this main topic talking about over tourism and other issues like that but if we're not careful we're gonna um you know sp split our forces but we need to join as one now and i think we can because at long last we've got a situation in which uh, um the short lets are being regulated or look likely to be regulated in the same way as hotels and i've got one final point to make here um this is the shift that's happening and it relates to what we were just talking about with the otas um there has been a, a change in atmosphere uh in the stock market in terms of how companies engaged in these different activities are seen so for a couple of decades um the OTAs have had higher multiples, higher valuations than listed hotel chains. Morgan Stanley pointed out this week that's now changed. And we've got a situation where it's pretty much the same. The the and um, how they calculated this was a slightly odd way, I guess, but um, they looked at the market cap of the two biggest OTAs and put that against the market cap of the biggest hotel groups, um, which they listed as Marriott, Hilton, IHG, Accor, and Choice. And they said, you know, they they tracked this over um, the years, and they said, what. Well, historically been a 20% gap that's now gone um, and there's no gap at all if anything um, um, the hoteliers are slightly ahead so um, but not only that the valuation multiples um, they've also converged so you know hoteliers are now 
being seen in the same light as the OTAs, effectively in the, the short lets, the short-term accommodation game, just one with a sort of platform approach, more technology orientated, and the other more operationally orientated. But I think it's uh, looking very promising from a hotelier point of view. And then we come to our five-star no-star awards for this week. Um, and we're starting off with no-stars for some of the uh, challenger brands in the hotel space. Uh, we've uh, a couple of examples this week. We've got um, uh, Versace uh, being taking his brand off its uh, hotel in the Gold Coast in Australia. Um, the, there seems to be some some disagreement between the Versace people and the owner, such that uh, that one's up for a rebrand. And uh, uh, also a bit nearer to home, news in London. Yeah, Hard Rock um, is about to be ousted from the Cumberland um, on Oxford Street. So um, that's different. I think the Amani thing, sorry, not Amani, um, Versace thing, getting my clothing brands muddled up. Um, the Versace thing is different to Hard Rock. Hard Rock are um, grown-up hoteliers coming out of the um, um, casino uh, business they're owned by a uh, native american uh, uh, um, group of native americans um the, the basic uh, ownership of uh, hard rock um and they're, they're rolling them out elsewhere but there's been a uh, a falling out um wasn't necessarily a falling out but the decision to exit and i never felt it worked very well to be frank as a as a hard rock um at this vast kind of open area as you go in um just off oxford street and it just didn't um um sing hard rock to me but the property is now going across to one of the own brands within the claremont group the renamed uh, glh uh, group so um more interesting though is this versace piece from the point of view i think it's um more evidence that uh, uh, these standalone sort of luxury brands uh, are not gonna easily transfer to the hospitality space unless you've got have your hand held by a grown-up hospitality operator so it contrast what's happened to Versace with what's happened to Bulgari now Marriott's made a very good job of rolling out Bulgari um, they do the operations and do the delivery and Bulgari does the the branding piece on, on top and that's worked the Versace one not so much and we've had similar things Ceruti and there's a whole bunch of other others which have come and gone in the hotel space so I think um, you know, it's tougher than you think just coming in with a luxury hotel brand. And this is evidence of and, that. And uh, five stars, I think, are going to uh, the story we've just referenced. Indeed, yeah. Well, regulation at last coming properly to the short-let market. Now, I think, by and large, it's going to be good news for short-lets. I think it's going to make life a bit tougher um, for them because I think the supply piece is going to get quite tough for um, Airbnb. Now Airbnb's had some bad news, um, well it is bad news, but what, what, what we've seen with Airbnb that they have paused the rollout of their experience business which was going to be the great new area they were going to expand into. Um, well whether that's permanently paused or not remains to be seen but certainly that's not great news and I, I suspect there's going to be heavier going now for them 
in the short let market in terms of you know getting new supply to come in because if you're going to get regulated um well quite rightly it makes it tougher but also if you're going to be registered so it's going to be much harder to avoid your tax and much harder uh, um, not to provide the appropriate levels of um, life safety etc and just as the uh, uh, buy to let market the longer term rental market is being pounded somewhat at the moment in part because of the extra regulation the government's throwing at the sector it's causing small time landlords um, undercapitalized landlords to exit um, and really the only players coming into the market are the well capitalized built to rent um, and I suspect we will see a similar thing happening in the short let market where the small players will exit and it'll be down to the, 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 the bigger people and this will make the playing field a lot, lot more even. Sanitary note will say goodbye for now.